we live in an age where church is not exactly viewed through a positive lens. And much of this is um, because of a faulty view of what church is, who it's all about, what does it mean to belong to one, to participate, is it necessary, is it not necessary? And I just hope to go directly to the source himself, namely Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the head of the body, which is his church, the people of God, Jew and Gentile, young and old, male and female, of every tribe, nation, language, and tongue. What does Jesus himself say about the church? I don't really care what my opinion is. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have baggage or or hardship or we've had bad experiences, good experiences and the like, but so many of us need to bring our opinions, our baggage, our pain, our frustration back to Jesus who is the head of his church, the Lord of his church, the savior of the world and say, Jesus, Will you show us, will you teach us just by your word what you say about the church? That's what I want to do for this mini teaching is I want to just go directly to the source and unpack some of the things that Jesus said about his church. What did he say? Number one, that it is a confessing entity. In Matthew 16, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Son of the living God. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So at its core, the church is about is is a group of people who confess with their hearts with their lives yielded up and surrendered that Jesus Christ is the climax the crescendo the fulfiller of all the prophetic promises of God's redemptive storyline from Genesis to Revelation Jesus is that prophet that Moses prophesied in Deuteronomy 18 he's the serpent crushing offspring of Eve in Genesis chapter 3. He's from the line of Judah, Genesis 49. He's the seed of Abraham, Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, through whom the whole world would be blessed. He is the royal heir to David's everlasting throne that God, the promise God gave David that I would place one of your sons on my throne and his throne and his kingdom would last forever. Jesus is the fulfiller of all of these promises. He's the savior, he's the Messiah, he's the anointed ruler who's establishing, inaugurating, and bringing God's kingdom to bear on the earth as as it is in heaven. So at its bare minimum, the church is a confessing entity, a group of people who agree with the ultimate truth that bears witness to the ultimate reality, Christ being reality, Colossians 2.17, that Jesus is the Messiah. We're not waiting for someone else to come to fulfill all of the prophetic promises throughout the scriptures, to to inaugurate God's kingdom, to reveal the Father, to establish the kingdom, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Christ is the fulfiller of all of these promises and the purposes of God in fulfilling his redemptive plans on the earth. 
So the church is a group of people that say, he's the king. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God's son. Let's go on. It's a community built on a father who reveals the son. Look what Jesus goes on to say. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Those who participate in the church have had a revelation of the identity and the nature of Jesus personally. So it's not enough if you, many give lip service, but he's in God's interest in our hearts, being gripped by faith to believe and to confess that Jesus is the Lord and the Messiah. And I love that it's a confessing entity, a community, a group of people, global community of people who confess Jesus as Lord. But the only reason we know to confess that is because of a father who's chosen to reveal his son intimately and personally to, to, to every single individual within the, the, the community of saints have had that Galatians 1, 12 through 16 where God in his great grace and mercy has revealed his son to us. That God has revealed our sinfulness, God has revealed the sufficiency of his son as our atoning sacrifice for our sin, that he is the savior of the world, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. It's built on a father who reveals the true identity and nature of his son, Jesus Christ. It uh, goes on. What, what else do we know about the church? That Jesus is building it. Look what he says. He goes on in Matthew 16. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. In partnership with people, the church is being built on the rock-solid foundation of Jesus himself, and the church has a hell-storming mission. What did he say? The gates of Hades will not stop the church Jesus is building, and the church has a rescue operation. So already we know the church is a confessing entity built on the revelation of the Son by a Father who's chosen to reveal His Son to us, and that the church is not just a stagnant confessing reality, but the church has a hell-storming mission. The gates of Hades will not prevail. Now, I had the privilege of going to Israel uh, about seven, or seven years ago or so, and where Jesus made this confession at Caesarea Philippi was literally in the area, that these caves that, that, that in Jesus' time, they, they literally thought they were the uh, sort of the, literally the gates of Hades, that evil spirits and pagan rituals and, and it's just the, the timeliness and the location that the historical actual person of Jesus made this confession was in a place that no one would have been like, yeah, this is where Jesus wants to establish his church, his, his, his uh, gospel community, bearing witness to his kingdom and his reign and rule. But it's right here, Jesus is saying, on this rock, the rock that I am the Messiah, the King, the Son of the living God, I'm gonna build my church so we know he's building it. We know it belongs to him. It's a confessing entity based on a father who reveals his son. And it has a hell, Hades hell storming mission. This is awesome. So already just taking Jesus at his word, how have you been challenged uh, when you think about the church, the church, and what it's all about?
Let's go on. The church in Matthew 16 has governmental authority. What do I mean by that? Jesus says, he goes on in this very important passage, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The, to enact, embody, and express the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this goes back to the prophecy in Isaiah of God giving keys to David to enact, to enable, to embody, and to express the, 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 the reality of his reign and rule in real time in real places among real people. The church has been given keys to the kingdom, which is to say, we don't, move, we don't operate in the world and just say, oh, the world's as good as it's gonna be, and we just navel gaze as the, this cloistered off community you know, we're good, we have Jesus, we have our get out of hell free card. No, 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 the church, he already told us, the gates of Hades won't prevail against it. And we have keys, authority, to bind and to loose, to agree with what God sees, what God says, what God wills, what God wants, and what God's word and wisdom enable us to actually live as an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, as a colony of heaven right here in the earth, in cities, in regions, in, in homes, in neighborhoods, we're meant to be this living, uh, this group that lives out of a different reality, the reality of the kingdom of heaven. But to be told to do that and not be given authority and resources to actually do it would be the ultimate bummer. But Jesus in his infinite wisdom and grace, when we confess he's Lord, he brings us into his kingdom and then he gives us authority, the ability to enact and to embody and express that kingdom in real time and in real places. So put another way, it's to bring that which is out of order back into alignment and agreement with the king and his kingdom. Principally speaking, one of the main ways we do this, lest you think it's just activism, although we are meant to be active in every sphere of culture as believers, don't mishear me. But one of the main ways we get to use the keys of binding and loosing the keys of the kingdom of heaven is through intercessory prayer, through worship, through petition. This is why Jesus, when he taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter six, nine through 13, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which is to say, let your name be seen and experienced as holy in and, and through your people who are being made holy and transformed into the image of your son. So let them see your hallowedness, your holiness through your people, through your image-bearing sons and daughters. And then he goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So one of the main ways we use the keys, the governmental authority that we've been given as citizens of the kingdom, Philippians 3.20, is through intercession and through prayer amongst people, places, and things that are out of agreement, out of alignment with the reality of the king and his kingdom as we see in the gospels and through the person and work of Jesus. We don't just sit by and go, well, world's going to hell in a handbasket, but we're good. No, the church has a hell-storming mission, a kingdom of God mission built on Jesus, built by Jesus with authority, with power and resources to actually bear witness to his rule and his reign. I already said this, but the church is meant to be an outpost or an embassy 
of God's, of heaven's kingdom on the earth. Paul said the same thing. I already alluded to this in Philippians 3. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you've made, you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So we see Paul saying the same thing, that when we're brought into the church by responding to the revelation of the Father, revealing his Son as the Messiah, the Lord, the Savior, the King, the Master, we're brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of, of his Son, Colossians 1, 13 through 14. Now we have a hell-storming mission. We have a kingdom mandate which is to intercede, to pray, and participate in the grace of God by bearing witness and word and deed to the reign and rule of Jesus. We don't do this in a coercive or dominating spirit, but through the very spirit of the Son of God, through sacrificial, self-emptying love. Not jellyfish, but those who are refuse to budge with our convictions and contend for the Father to reveal His Son to many, many more in our families, in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, in our world. But look how Paul describes enemies of the cross. Their God is their stomach, so they live by their pleasures, by their lusts, by their unbridled affections. Their glory is their shame, but their minds are set on earthly things. So they're not living. So again, the church is meant to be this community built on Jesus, built by Jesus, built through Jesus, with a kingdom hell-storming mission where we're learning to not think from a fleshly point of view, but from a, hev a heavenly mindset. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, right? Philippians 2.5, that we have the mind and mindset of Christ, or we're called to cultivate that in 1 Corinthians 2.16, that our minds are meant to be governed by the Spirit, which is life and peace, Romans 8, 6 through 10. And so the church is this community that's meant to constantly look at each other with Christ at the center and say, brother, sister, how we're living, we're living, we're not meant to live like everyone else. We're meant to live with the kingdom, the eternal mindset. Jonathan Edwards say, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes that I see everything through your eternal perspective, your kingdom lens and perspective. And Paul says there again in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven and we wait and trust that God is going to send his son a second time to restore and bring everything under his dominion and control. And he'll even give us new resurrected glorified bodies. So this is the church, according to Jesus. Now in Matthew's gospel, I did a word search once. Before Jesus says the word church once, he said the word disciple has been used 35 times, 35 to one ratio. A disciple are, are those people who are following Jesus, being formed by Jesus, filled by Jesus to live a kingdom lifestyle. We're lifelong students of King Jesus. So the church, I should have said that at the very beginning, is meant to, to view itself as each participant 
as brothers and sisters who are fellow disciples following the way of Jesus in the yoke of Jesus with a kingdom mission and a hellstorming mission. This is what Jesus has been unpacking here in Matthew 16 when he drills the disciples on who they say he really is. So just to summarize, the church is about the revealing father, the centrality of King Jesus, the foundation upon which it's built, and the fountain from whom all the blessings flow, Jesus. The certainty of its progress being built, the gates of hell won't prevail, the mission for which it's, which it's formed, and the governing kingdom purposes. Oh, screenshot that. It's about the Father, a revealing Father, centrality of Jesus, the certainty of its progress being built, the mission it's formed for, and the government and its governing kingdom purposes. So this is step one as we begin to dialogue about what does Jesus say about his church. I want to land the plane here on session one and let you reflect again. What do I think of when I think about church? And is my vision in alignment with what God has said through his son, Jesus, according to his word? And am I viewing myself as a brother or sister in a company of fellow disciples who are following and being formed by Jesus so that we can love like Jesus and live like Jesus so that we can embody and express the reality of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Are you participating? Do you realize how epic it is that we're invited to be those who belong to the church, universal, that, God, that Jesus is building all over the world, but he's called us to participate and belong to in a local capacity. So it's about the Father who reveals the centrality of Jesus, the foundation and the fountain upon which it's built and every blessing flows, the certainty of its progress being built, contrary to whatever popular belief in culture, that it's formed for a mission and it has a governing kingdom purpose through obedience, through proclamation, through prayer, and through the, the, the thick embodied practices of discipleship, generosity, hospitality, praying for the sick. The whole enterprise carries with it governmental weight that in that space and in that place among those people by the power of the Holy Spirit, the kingdom of heaven is breaking in, that we get to bear witness to the reign and rule of Jesus. This is what he's called the church to be and to become. I will pick this conversation up in episode two on what does Jesus say about the church and why it's so important. We recover Jesus's vision for the church that he's building.